Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. All right, once again, we are back with All About HR. Really, really excited, as I always am for my episode here. Have another one of uh, the HR community that I've just, I met on Twitter that I've been chatting with and communicating with for, uh, I don't know, two years now. We'll, we'll probably get into that as we, uh, as we get going. But, uh, one of my favorite type of guests because it's somebody I know and someone I now get to sit down with and have a better conversation and get to know, grow the friendship and grow the understanding a little bit more. So this is, this is literally why I, why I do the show. So. Today's guest, without further ado, is Tom Daniels. He's a husband, father, advisor, coach, mentor, speaker, community member, friend, runner, podcast junkie, thank goodness. He's the Associate Director for Graduate and Executive Programs in Business at Bowling Green State University. He's very active in his local community. He's a Workforce Readiness Chair with Northwest Ohio HR Association, the local SHRM chapter, and is a board board member. Avenues for Autism, Leadership Toledo, and Owens Community College. A moderator for HR Unite Group in Toledo. Very excited to welcome Tom to the podcast. Welcome. Tom, thank you very much for the invite. Happy to be here. And that's a lot of stuff, as I like to say in my uh, typical bio. Yeah, if I'm not sitting in a board meeting, I'm, I'm out on the roads running somewhere. <laughs> Trying to burn off the crazy, as they say. Are you a? Uh, are you? Is there a connection between your running and your podcast junkie title? Are, do you listen to podcasts when you run? Yeah. Yeah, without question. So if I'm running, you're, you'll typically have a podcast on, and uh, it's it's great to be able to set it up where you can listen to one podcast and say, "Hey, play this one next, play that one next, and play this one last," and so you don't have to keep changing along the way but yeah very occasionally I'll, I'll listen to music but most of the time it's a, it's a podcast yeah i was uh am and was a big music runner i just i just had music on at all times i had to turn off my music to record this and i wasn't a big podcast person even though i have a podcast i had a few select i listened to almost all hr but i recently started listening to them when i run and it, it really is great. I thought I wouldn't be as motivated, but it, it just melts minutes off of my run. It makes it so much easier. And I feel like I'm doing something doubly productive too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, I, I have a tendency to count songs. So, oh, well, you know, the, I'm not necessarily a fast runner. So I know, hey, it's going to take me about three songs to get a mile. And then I start counting. Well, I should be counting music. I should just be running. And so if I can put a podcast on, kind of get lost in the discussion, learn something new. Uh, I think the, the thing that I ever struggle with is when you're, when you're running along and you hear something great. And I really wish I could get uh, my phone to take a note. And I want to just like yeah, pause, the same. take a note. I want to make sure I heard that or, or, or bookmark that. Like if I could just bookmark a podcast, because uh, sometimes I got to go back and listen to it again so I can write down a note or two. Um, so that's probably the only thing frustrating about right. listening to a podcast when you're around is when you hear something great, being able to get a note down. 
I would say 90%, and that's a big number, of my good ideas happen when I'm running. Oh, yes, without question. So I'm I'm now trained. I come in, and I literally just start like, I have to get it on paper right away. And sometimes, yeah, I'm like, oh, i got to listen to 20 minutes of podcast uh, to get to some of that. But most of the time, it just sticks in my head. And that's one of the reasons I love running. It's such – it's mental exercise uh, as much as physical. Yeah, I like uh, – I'm, I'm famous for saying it takes three miles to run off the crazy – so after the three miles, then that's where the creative juices come in. Uh, but it takes those three miles to get the uh, get, burn off the crazy, right? The, the stress, the anxiety, whatever is going on, just get it out and then uh, and then be able to be creative after that. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm just now starting to do that myself that I was always, you know, I did sports. I wrestled, I ran, I did cross country, did lacrosse. I was always, I would do warm up and my parents are both coaches I know the importance of warm up, but I never felt like I got a benefit. But all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, I realized that there is a massive change for me after. And, and with running, it's probably yeah, probably two and a half, three miles if I just had to guess for myself. So it's it's funny how all of a sudden it's making a difference for me. Maybe it was there and I didn't notice, or maybe I'm getting older and I'm noticing things more. I don't know, but uh, I love that. I think it's three miles to run off the crazy. <laughs> the first mile is a liar anyway we all know this right and yep. then the next two miles burn off all that crazy and then and then after that all the creative juices can, can flow yeah absolutely yeah mental mental warm-up to kind of put a pin on the running which i i doubt that's true we'll probably come back to running that's just how it always happens to go with us but i was in a running lull and you absolutely got me out of it i didn't run for five months and i saw you uh on twitter talk about a run um, and you're running for a cause. And I want to talk about that, Sure, yeah. but it inspired me. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I haven't run in three months. Cause it's winter. I just, it just didn't cross my mind. And I went and ran that week and I've run a couple times a week since. And I just want to thank you for that. Cause it, it's, it's amazing how you can get out of rhythm and not even realize it until all of a sudden you do. And it's like, what, what happened to me? So you saved me. <laughs> I'm back running again. I'm not on this Peloton you see behind me. And it's great to have a break from that thing, too. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you're welcome. Uh, uh, my guess that, that might be you're not the first one who's kind of mentioned that there's a couple others in the HR community who've kind of thrown a note to say, hey, I appreciate your your inspiration. And for me, again, it's this is how I, I burn off some of the crazy. It's almost like I've become to need it. Yeah, in terms just in terms of being able to get out there, you got to burn it off, right? And so um, I, that's what I do. Uh, some people hit the gym, you know. Some people like to read. Some people like to watch TV. Like Tom needs to go for a run. It's good for your mental, but you also tell me about the fundraising effort. Is it still open? Is it like like jog my memory on on what you were what cause you were running for? Appreciate that, Tom. So yeah, so as as mentioned in my intro, I'm a board member for Avenues for Autism, which is an organization here in Northwest Ohio that supports um, uh, families and individuals who are on the spectrum or have uh, individuals on the spectrum, just in terms of life without limits. That's kind of the the spirit of, of Avenues for Autism. They've really started this incredible navigations uh, program to help those families with navigating the support and systems that are available throughout our region. And, and so, yeah, I signed up for the Glass City Marathon here in the Toledo area, and I'm doing fundraising for Avenues for Autism to, to help support the cause. So um, it's been pretty motivational for me. It gives me a, a little bit of more of a purpose to do those really, really long runs, uh, 
19 miles yesterday was a long way to go. <laughs> and uh, along with that, um, you know, we have we have another member of our HR community whose whose family does have uh, a family member who is uh, on the spectrum. And so you'll see uh, hashtag Team Emily um, on my on my post, and uh, you probably see that on Christy Angler's as well. So. Um, both of us supporting each other along this this run, and she's uh, she signed up for the half marathon here in Toledo. So awesome! She's going to do the half marathon. I'll do the marathon, and we're we're kind of both on hashtag Team Emily. And when is uh, when is the marathon? April twenty third, not too far away. So we got about six weeks from yesterday. But who's counting? Yeah, but yeah, you are. You did nineteen miles <laughs> training. That's I don't mind. I feel like I could get through the twenty six point two marathon, and I would train for it, but. Having to do that amount of running for that many weeks and like building up to that is so intimidating for me. So, I mean, congrats for even finishing the 19 mile training run. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I think that the training is hard for a marathon. It's it's brutal. Um, and so, yeah, about six weeks to go, and and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. Excellent. Send me a link. We'll uh, we'll tweet it out as part of the show. We'll put a link in the uh, uh, we'll put a link in our in our episode all about HR. We'll we'll make a donation uh, for Emily as well. Great. Thanks so much, Tom. And for you, for everybody. <laughs> it works for me. I'm going to ask you. We kind of started touching on it, so I want to just jump right into this. But what are you listening to right now, Tom? So again, podcast junkie. Listen when I run. There are number of podcasts that I listen to, of course, and all about HR is on that list without question. Thank you. Uh, I, I would like to say that, you know, I was listening to the HR social hour, half hour podcast, but I think I listened to every single one of those episodes, uh, all 250 plus of those. So, um, but there are three of them that I find that I go, they're my go-tos. Um, as soon as they are, are, are launched, I go to. So one of them is the Learning Leader Show with Ryan Hawk. That's definitely my favorite one. Uh, Ryan's an uh, incredible question asker. I think his podcast has now celebrated its eighth year. So wow. he's got hundreds of 500 episodes or something like that. Uh, it's definitely one to check out. Another one is Finding Mastery with Michael Gervais. He's a sports psychologist. So he worked with the Seattle Seahawks and um, his, his interviews that he does with his guests are fantastic. And then the last one is a little bit more, again, kind of leading into the HR circles is leading from the heart with Mark C. Crowley. Uh, I'm, I'm also in that same mindset of, well, we lead from our heart. That's that's yeah. where we lead. I mean, we're we're part of the HR community, right? Of course, we lead with our heart, right? And we're, uh, you know, hear Steve Brown talk all the time about we're human beings. Yes. <laughs> people like humans, right? And so, and, and if we can lead from the heart, that's very human focused. And so uh, those are three, my three, podcast go-to podcast right now it's always a mix of oh i'm excited to try these new podcasts and then guilt that why have i not listened to these yet uh especially the mark c crowley leading from the heart i've seen that i have not uh listened to that yet so i'm gonna go for a run this afternoon i'm gonna put that on my running uh my running playlist so and we'll have links to these of course as always uh for others to check out in the show you have some travel coming up is that uh is that correct is it work travel pleasure travel what's uh where, where are you going yeah, work travel. So we're um, so uh, one of the programs that I support here at Bowling Green State University is our Executive Master of Organization Development program, and part of that program is an international. It's called um, exploring international organization development, and so 
me, a colleague, and 13 students are heading to Prague. Uh, and we're heading there. And actually, I, I live in two days. Wow. <laughs> students will be there uh, this weekend. And uh, we have an entire week lined up with some educational experiences, both with some schools in Prague, as well as some companies and organizations. And then, of course, we'll have a little bit of cultural experiences as well. And city of Prague is only a little over 30 years out of communism. Right. So, you know, there's still elements of that that exist as, as part of the culture. Um, and at the same time, it's an incredibly beautiful city. So we're really looking forward to that. And uh, so it'll be about 10 days of, of my time in Prague. This will be great. It's, uh, my dad worked at West Point Military Academy, and he did all these different trips for work. My wife was, or my his wife, my mom, was always like, hey, you, this isn't work. And he's like, no, no, it takes a lot of work to go there and then take care of the students and then set everything up. But uh, that that's a good kind of work, though. Right. Yeah. I get that all the time. Like, oh, I need your job. And I'm like, well, it, it is a lot of work. And I'm, you know, basically working for 10 straight days, 24 hours a day, being available to students. But I am doing it in Prague. Right. So. Right. Yeah, exactly. You still have <laughs> a pretty okay. good office. <laughs> still still not bad. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Prague's on uh, Prague's on the top of my cities to visit list. And I just got back from Belize. Uh, so if you're listening and you see, you know, heard that gap, that's where I was. But I made friends with uh, uh, this girl and her her fiancé. They're captaining this $3 million yacht all over the world. And they were, you know, they were sitting out in the harbor. And we met them in town one day at dinner and hung out with them. But she, her name was Sharka. And she was from Prague. And she was telling us all about it and showing us pictures. We were just getting, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to go to Prague. So that's uh that's cool. Good good crossover trips there. Absolutely. It's it's really crazy when you travel internationally and you meet people and if you're open to meeting people while you're in in that country and you find that there's a connection to home or a connection to a city that you you want to go visit. Uh, we were in Amsterdam last July and after a, a visit to the Anne Frank house a colleague and I really we were just trying to find a place where we could just decompress because it's really intense there if you've never been to the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam it's just imagine. really heavy um, and so after we left there we're like we just need a beer and we're gonna like just kind of reflect on what we experienced and we sat at this uh, outdoor bar and started talking to the three people to our right and it turns out that two of them are from Georgia one of them is from uh, from Amsterdam and then the dude says what school are you guys representing and we said bowling green state university and he was like there's no way my dad my dad went to school there. awesome I'm like we're in amsterdam <laughs> how does this happen right so yeah it's it's really crazy if you're open to to interacting with people and, and just having a conversation with people around how, how small the world really gets and i feel like that's kind of a nice transition into some of the hr conversation that if if you just open up to people if you see people for who they are and and, and get outside of your comfort zone don't just focus on the people in your role or in your space and you can get out, you know, as a manager, if you can get out of your desk and just get out on the floor, you can learn so much about people. And it's amazing how often there's some connectivity there. Absolutely. Yeah. And even work, working here at, at the university and being able to connect with students literally from all over the world and, you know, kind of suspending your judgment about what it's like to live in Tanzania or to live in, in Botswana or, or, India or South Korea, and then just being able to have a conversation with the student about what home is like. And yeah. 
where you learn so much. If you, and I, I feel that way just about people. And if you could just, again, suspend your judgments suspend, and just have a conversation, you learn so much about people. And of course, that's true in the HR world. <laughs> that's, right. that's what we know is, is just being able to have a conversation. And a lot of what I like to focus on around uh, HR is the workforce readiness, right? And and the coaching of younger employees. So it was really interesting. You talked with Mike Sipple a couple of weeks ago and you know their organization works with their early to mid-career folks. Yep. And that's who I also work with on a regular basis. And so for me, it is about those having those conversations with them about, so where are you today? Where is it that you're looking to get to? And then how do we help you kind of on that path? And um, if you can really suspend a lot of that judgment and just be, a, be genuinely curious and ask questions. You could really help open up and you'll learn a lot about other people and even a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. And and that takes me back to, I think I first said, we need to get you on the podcast a long time ago, you know, scheduling and life and whatever. I can make a million excuses. But but when I first brought that up, you said to me was, I'm not really an HR guy. This is what I do in the university space. And now as, as we connected to do this podcast, you're like, Oh, I just spoke at an HR conference. And, you know, <laughs> d- d- you know, you went from, I am a friend and I like the HR community to now being really fully a part of it to the point where you're literally speaking at conferences. How did like, what was that journey like for you and how did it get to where you're at, at the conferences? And then we'll kind of dig into what you're talking about there, but like, yeah, how did sure, that gap sure. when we first started talking to actually having you here? So the crazy thing is, is that, yeah, I work here at the university in this role. I've been here again, nine and a half years. But prior to that, I worked in corporate world for 20 years. And the last five years of that corporate world was in learning in a learning and development role. And so uh, when I took a role in learning and development, I was reporting to an HR team. And so I was like, ooh, I probably should learn more about HR. And so uh, about a year after I took that role, I studied for and prepped and actually became HR certified. And was uh, um, so I had earned my certification through HRCI. And so I was, mm-hmm. I would say, well, I'm, I, I, I'm not the HR guy. I just report to HR. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the learning and development. Uh, but truly it, it was because I cared more about our people and more about the developments of, of our folks. And so um, uh, more HR adjacent um, is, is probably the way to look at things. And so in my my graduate degree is organization development. So for me, it is relate. It's HR adjacent, HR related. Um, but so, yeah, I never considered myself the HR guy, just kind of HR adjacent. Uh, I think our stories are similar in terms of how do we find the HR community? We're stuck in COVID. We're people, people we want. We're looking for interaction, but we're kind of stuck at home and wasn't involved much in Twitter and started to. And I was like, wait a minute what's this hashtag HR community stuff? (laughs) And so the engagement started, started right there to make some incredible connections throughout the country and throughout the world uh, related to to the HR circles. And then, you know, show up at an HR conference and at the Ohio HR conference. And that's where I met Mike Sippel. I also met Christy Angler there and and then ended up in Wisconsin HR conference last year and got to meet Jeff and Ira and (laughs) getting the, started to, you know, started to meet people in person. And, And of course that's a different world when you finally get to meet some of those folks in person. So. I'm sure, Tom, you and I at some point will find a way to, to connect. 
Yes, I think uh, I'm getting closer and closer to convince my company to send me to more shows. So I actually might even make it to Sherm this year. So I'm pretty excited about ah, that. There so you go. Hopefully I can check some boxes. But uh, I've got some uh, some state Sherm uh, shows I want to go to in Ohio and Wisconsin are both on that list. So uh, ah, yeah, ho- good ho- hopefully sooner than later. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I, I, I'm going to talk about speaking at HR conferences. Yeah, I, was, I spoke at the Wisconsin State Sherm Conf- Conference last year, as well as Michigan Sherm last year. And, um, and in the past, I've spoken at Minnesota State Sherm and Ohio Sherm and then uh, some of the local uh, chapters as well. And typically talking about leading organizational change, coaching. Those are two of the topics that I, I tend to talk a lot about because those are the two spaces that I'm most familiar with, obviously, right. as opposed to HR competencies um, and, and day-to-day HR. It's definitely not my space. There are experts in that space, so let them do that. Yeah, but that's what I love about HR, and that's why we even went as literal as put that in the title of this, is it's just so broad. And with all due respect to the HR pr- practitioners that are doing it day-to-day, that is a really tough job. But I also think, you know, I, I came out of hotels and we'd always say, who's in housekeeping? And every person would say, I'm in housekeeping because it took the entire community of the hotel to be having eyes on everything and make sure the place looked great. And I feel like HR has it the core function, you know, there's housekeeping and hotels, but then it also expands that everybody else in that space from leaders to organizational development to learning and development that is in the HR sphere. And it takes everybody coming together to make HR successful and to make culture successful in organizations. Yeah. I would go back to your, your conversation with Steve Brown. And one of the things that I wrote down when I was listening, I was listening to it on a run. Of course I had to stop because I wanted to make a note, mental note of this. And I think the words that the way that Steve put it is if people say you have to go talk to HR, then you're not part of the organization, right? Yep. And that was like, dude, that is, yeah. I mean, it's pretty profound, right? It's um, if, if, if you're external to the business, then you're not part of the business. Like, no, you need to be part of the business. And so it's everybody's responsibility to be part of taking care of our people. I love that. I love that you captured that and brought it back to the forefront because I think that's a huge piece. So at a high level, when you're talking, summarize your change management presentation out at a conference. You know, what it, for you, what are the key pieces of that? Give us give us some of that knowledge that you that you've built. One of the things that uh, I talk about around change management, of course, if you're at a change if you're at an HR conference, you get an hour. So I can't teach people to do change management fully in an hour. <laughs> if we could do that, then everybody would be really, really good at it, right? Right. Yeah, so when we look at the at change management, Tom, I, I typically look at a model for just assessing an organization or a department or even an individual in their preparation for change and then being able to, to look at, hey, are they ready and where are they at kind of on this change journey? Because there's a number of different steps. There's a couple models for, for change management, but there's also the change journey and there's a couple of different models for, for that change journey. And so, you know, it's typically that we're at some status quo, there's some type of disruption that's going to happen, right? And as soon as the disruption happens, of course, chaos happens and performance tends to go down. And, and then we realize that, oh, oh, we're, we're going to do something. <laughs> so there's going to be some type of, of adjustment that's going to be made, some type of intervention that's going to be created. Then we're going to start testing new behaviors. Hopefully we'll f- test some new behaviors. We'll find some stuff that works. 
And then we're going to be able to move from the testing those to implementing those. And then we'll hopefully we're at a new status quo, right? A higher, more productive status quo. Along, along that journey, uh, of course, it's, it can be painful. Um, but what we talk about is how do we, every organization wants to shorten the amount of time in that change journey. And so if we can, we can start at the assessment level of understanding where we're at from an individual department or organization um, in preparation for that. And that's kind of what I try to focus on is where are we at to start? And then what kind of specific activities can we do to kind of move people along in kind of that change journey? So right. um, that's kind of what I talk about and share a, a couple of models and a couple of ways of, of being able to. Excellent. Yeah. I feel like so many companies and so many managers just, we need to make a change and it's okay, let's have a meeting sure. and let's put out some steps and that's change management. And I, and I, like, and I've seen that. I felt that I've been a part of that. I've done that earlier in my career before I realized that change management actually is a process. If you had to give one pitfall to avoid, what would it be? And is there just one or is there a couple of big ones that, that you can share? It's really interesting that you asked for one pitfall because I was thinking in my mind, boy, I hope he asked me something related to this. So I think the biggest challenge when organizations go through some type of, especially when it's a big change, is that they they have a transformation committee or a group of people who are working on, hey, how are we going to make this change or what's this transformation going to look like? And they, they work on it for two months, four months, six months, maybe even 12 months. And they get to know it so well. And then when they roll it out to the organization, they forget that the rest of the organization hasn't been involved for the last two months, four months, six mm -hmm. months, or 12 months. And so the, the committee knows it so well that they can't understand why the organization doesn't understand where they're at. And so they just try to almost like it's a forced and they forget that they have to give everybody an opportunity. Not that you have to give them two, four, six, 12 months, but they got to get up to speed um, yeah. to where you're at uh, because you got there over time and, and here you are trying to launch something and you're expecting them to just accept it as is because this is just the way it is. And so uh, it's, it's possible to do, but it, you just got to help them get there faster um, than, than maybe you got there. But I think that to me, that's the biggest pitfall is forgetting how long it took you to get there. <laughs> Because you're so familiar with it. That's a great piece. And I've just really now realized at this point in my career, my life, that when change happens, I just sit on it and shut up. Don't give an opinion. Don't be happy. Don't be sad. Just be. And almost, it's like magic. 24 hours later, I know how I feel. I've made my peace with it. And just having that time makes all the difference in how I approach change, whether I'm driving it or it's coming at me, just that time sitting with it. So that's something I've learned. So to hear you say that on a macro level that you have to do the same for the organizations, that that really resonates. Yeah. And, and most times there's this perception that everything is changing and really almost nothing is. There's just some small pieces typically that are changing and helping people realize that, no, the whole world isn't crashing. Your whole world isn't changing. Uh, but boy, there's a few things that are changing and here's how it impacts you or your role. And here's what's being expected of you. It can make things just go so much smoother. Absolutely. When we get back, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about the coaching and the time you spend with the students because most of these conversations are people in the workforce. I want to hear how students are being prepared to enter that workforce and some of the coaching involved with that. Perfect. We'll be right back. 
All right, it is time for another edition of the HR Hot Sauce with Tom Daniels. Tom, are you ready? Tom, let's do it. What's the best job you've ever had? Sounds self-serving, but the current job I have is absolutely the best job I've ever had. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? That's the way we've always done it. It drives me absolutely crazy, and maybe it's because you know we teach change management and the two programs that I support here. And so, of course, when it's the, well, that's the way we've always done it. Now let's get out of there and let's, let's change it. Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Well, Tom, you know I'm a runner. So you know I'm going to be working on rainy days because when it's sunny out, I'm going to get out and work. How can someone make your day at work, Tom? One of the greatest parts of my job is when a student lets me know that they got a job. Fantastic. Best useless skill? Best useless skill might be that I'm quasi-ambidextrous. And so uh, I write and eat left-handed, but I play sports right-handed, but I can still write right-handed and I can still play sports left-handed. It's not really good for anything, but I can do that. So my friends like to call me amphibious. (laughs) (laughs) See, now I'm glad I like that question. I was thinking about taking it out. I'm leaving it in. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? Somewhere between hot and nuclear. Same here. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? So the favorite question that I like to be asked is, what do you like most about your job? Because as soon as you ask me that question, big smile comes on my face because, again, I'm going to talk about interacting with students, either prospective students or current students or, or alums about the work that they're doing. And it just fires me up every day. And then finally, the favorite song to bring you out of a funk? I'm going to give Metallica Monday a shout out here. Wherever I may roam will fire me up every single time. Perfect song for a runner. Thanks, Tom. Well, let's get back to the show. And we are back talking to Tom Daniels about change management, going to Prague, Bowling Green. We're talking about uh, Bowling Green University, State University. Is that the full proper term? State University. Bowling Green State University. Great conversation. What we were leading towards, we're coming out of change management, what we're leading towards is, you know, the other piece of what Tom does in, in his experience is developing the leaders of today and tomorrow. And I think it's really cool because we don't talk about that enough. So, Tom, at a base, when you're bringing up business leaders and preparing these schools in the business school, what do you – what are all the professors? What's the school really focused on helping – enable the students, you know, other than accounting and, you know, the, the, the core math, you know, the science, you know, the, the core classes, what are you really providing the students to be ready to come out of the workforce today? Yeah. And I, I think that sure. We're, we're trying to give them the technical skills, right. For their business discipline. And so if you're, if you want to be an accountant, let's make sure you have the accounting background. If you want to go into the supply chain management space, let's make sure you're focused there. If you want to go into marketing, make sure you have that background, fine, et cetera. But one of the things that all employers that we hear from all employers is yes, they're technically savvy. However, what we need is people who can work with other people. Um, And so what I consistently talk to the students about is, look, you're going to have a job because of what you know, and you're going to have a career based on how you treat people. And mm. so, yes, you're going to get hired because you're a great, you're great at accounting and you're also going to get fired because you can't deal with people right? <laughs> or you can't interact with people appropriately. And so your professional behavior, uh, you know, again, uh, 
people use soft skills. I've heard critical skills. I think I can't remember who it was. Uh, I, I know it was on all about HR. Somebody mentioned critical skills. Seth Godin a couple of years ago at a conference called them real skills, right? And yeah, it's the, it. the real skills are what we really need to focus on. And so, yes, I, 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 one of the classes that I get to teach for our full-time MBA students is a topics and leadership and management course. And, um, and so what I say in that course is that yeah, we're going to talk about all those things that are hopefully going to have, help you have a career. Cause I'm not going to teach you accounting in that course. That's why you have an accounting course. <laughs> we're not going to teach you. I'm not going to teach you about uh, supply chain, but Hey, I'm going to help bring in uh, a lot of guest speakers and a lot of subject matter experts. And we're going to cover stuff like, well, they're all going to take a personality assessment. They're going to get a little bit of insight about themselves mm-hmm. and about their style and then how to work with others. What I like to say with, with them is data, not drama. So we have, and this is a term uh, I got from my friends, Sarah Bess and John Brower, data, not drama. We've, we've given you some data now about how your style is and how to work with other styles. I don't want any drama because when you go to work, nobody wants drama. Right. <laughs> and so we're going to cover, we're going to have a, a guest speaker who's going to come in and talk a little bit about DEI, how important that is, because I have a, one of my core values is belonging. And so if you're in the classroom, you belong here. End of story. Everybody belongs in the room. You're here. You belong. That's here. great. And then we're going to bring in a guest speaker who's going to talk about servant leadership and the importance of servant leadership. And then we're going to have somebody come in and do presentation skills and uh, another one on branding. And then near the end of the semester, I'm going to actually bring in, typically I'm bringing in somebody to talk about mental health. And I know we just, uh, you know, we had a, a, a panel discussion just uh, last week um, with some, some of our friends in the HR community to talk about the importance of mental health, even at work. And so I bring in guest speakers to come in and talk about mental health for themselves, talk about burnout. And then they also talk about employee wellness that happens in the workplace. And uh, I try to do that right before the end of the semester when everybody's stressed out, <laughs> exams are coming <laughs> yeah. up, right? Um, Plant but, the seeds. You know, it's, it's all these business topics that, you know, you're not going to cover in your accounting class, maybe, or your supply chain class. But these are the important critical skills that are going to ha- help you in your job today and will help you have a career long term. I love that. And I've always hoped those classes were were occurring in universities. And I, I had one at my business school, James Madison. And still to this day, I use more of what I've learned from that class. That was one of the, I don't want to say easier. I mean, I wasn't killing myself. It wasn't statistical analysis. Right. But at the same time, that professor in that class had such a huge impact uh, on my career. And that learning... Excel in, in college. Those are like the two big things I took out. <laughs> it was like, all right, I got, I, I can use Excel really well. And I also know how to like implement these type of things. But we, we didn't even go as deep as DEI and well being. And it's great that like everything I'm hearing on the outside, I'm doing some air quotes, is, is what you're able to talk to the students about on the air quotes again inside uh, of universities. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the benefit, or at least the way I quote unquote teach, uh, my course, because I always say I don't really teach it. Uh, I just organize it and I bring in a bunch of guest speakers who are subject matter experts. So sure, I could talk about emotional intelligence, but how about if I bring in an expert on emotional intelligence and have them share their knowledge? And it's it's really cool because I get to learn with the students at the yeah. same time. I'm always going to learn something from those guest speakers. And frankly, I think uh, my experience says a lot of, of professionals love coming back and teaching, right? So in a way they, they love the idea of, I could, I'm not committed to teaching a whole class, right? For the whole yep. semester, but boy, I have an expertise and, and just to give back a little bit of my expertise back. Um, 
and so it, it's it's kind of uh, it, it's really kind of a fun thing because it it's not uncommon for me to ask and people are like yeah love to i'd love to come in right yeah <laughs> and uh and, and of course it's it's great to have them here and they're sharing their expertise and the students learn and then of course the students say great things at the end where they're like hey this was really this yeah, it wasn't hard. The class wasn't hard, uh, but it was really interesting. And, and of course, they have assignments to do along the way. And even though it's a topics and, and leadership and management course, so they, they, they're required to go through a values exercise. And, and I'm going to push them to create some type of personal mission statement. And they're going to do some interviews with working professionals and jobs that they want to be in so that they have a little a better understanding yeah. of what it looks like. And of course, I'm going to push them to do some professional networking as well. So we'll even bring in a speaker to talk about professional networking and how to you do it and, and want them to start building that professional network in their very first semester right so but it's it's a lot of fun i have a lot of fun with that class and i think the students enjoy it they tell me they do yeah, right? <laughs> even if it's a friday class uh, it's always been friday afternoons mba students you know for four hours on friday afternoon isn't exactly what they're excited about but again if we can cover the topics that we need to and and get them some value on the outside that they could take out with them it, it, it tends to be a lot of fun yeah, it, you touched on something that I remembered from a similar class that I had had where he said, you get to learn along as well. And I remember he told us, he said, always be paying attention. And it's not about, this could be a two-hour class. It may be 15 seconds of the class that will help you for the next 30 years. Maybe a tiny little piece. And if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. And it's not all two hours, but you have to listen to all two hours and you can find those nuggets of information. They're going to make a huge difference. And I think that's kind of what you also illustrated professional. You've got this big experience, but you're also, you're still going to listen. I bet you're still taken out going, Ooh, this is the third time he's, this person spoke or he or she spoke into my class. I like that. And it probably still rings the bell. You're probably still getting Absolutely. Or, or, you know, Sometimes you got to hear a message different times, right? And so you get different, you're in a different space each time you hear it. So you're going to hear something new or something different and it's going to hit you differently. You're like, wait a minute, I need to, I need to reflect on that, think a little bit more about that. With working with students, working with master students that have been in the real world, I call it the real world, everything's real world, like especially college. <laughs> it sure feels like the real world when I was there. there was, I was learning lessons left and right, but uh, post-graduation versus in. Is there a difference you found in how they approach learning? Like people at a company, when the company's teaching you versus students learning, is there an approach from the audience that you've noticed differs between the students and in a, in a more professional out of education? Well, it's really interesting because again, I work with graduate students, so I don't get, uh, I don't necessarily work with the undergrad students. So I get the, you know, older adults or at least the older students who are expecting to learn something that they can take to work, right? Not yeah. uh, book learning is fine, but um, you know, when, when they can do and, and interact with each other and some type of experience, um, what I like to, to say is that, a, especially in a grad program, it should be learning not just with each other, but from each other, right? And so they want to have that interactive experience. And so um, actually all, all the graduate programs I work with, I work with our full-time MBA students. Mm -hmm. I work with our Master's of Organization Development program, which is an executive program, and then our doctorate program in Organization Development Change. And, and those are executive students as well. And, and they're all cohort-based. And so all students are taking all of their classes together. So when you when you 
put that mix together and you get people who have different undergraduate degrees and they have different work experiences and different professional backgrounds and you put them in a room and then they want to learn not just from a sage on a stage as a, you know the, the traditional professor like that uh, viewpoint but that's fine right to learn some but at the same time, how do we get them to interact, to share some of the knowledge that they have? Because they want to learn not just with each other, but from each other. And I think that that's a heavy emphasis for, for all of our programs. And my experience of talking with students, and I actually just did some focus groups with uh, some alums, and they talked about that cohort experience, that that's the way to go. If, if I didn't have my cohort, I'm not sure I'd have made it through. Yeah, because my cohort carried me or helped me stay engaged or helped me learn that discipline that I was struggling with. So I made the finance class. I, I don't want to be a finance person, but I knew I had to take a class. And I need to know enough. And somebody was able to help support me through that. Boy, you know what? When we got to that marketing class, I'm the more creative type and I was the one helping that individual. Right. And so it's this back and forth learning where you're, you're learning with each other, but also from each other as well. I mean, that's a great, just, that's inspiring me. I've always wanted to go back and get my MBA, but I kept waiting for one of my companies to pay for it for me. So I didn't <laughs> have to go pay for it myself. So Chris Coberly, if you're listening, you know, feel free. We can have that conversation. Uh, that's, that's my CEO, of course. But no, it's, that is true what work is like. So to hear the programs really operate a lot like organizations as far as how you learn, how you have to interact, how you have to have shared experiences to be able to get to that end result. Um, that's really great to hear. I didn't, I haven't dug that deep and I, I honestly have no clue what those programs were like. Um, and maybe they're all different, but what you're saying gives me a lot more excitement about how we're integrating learning, work, university, degree, experience. It really all seems pretty fluid. Yeah. If, you know, some students could choose Bowling Green and that's great. You should come here. Our programs are great. Uh, I don't want to try to be necessarily selling our programs, but I would encourage any adult who's going to go back and earn a, a master's degree or even a, a professional doctorate degree is to look for that cohort experience, making sure that you're going to have some experience that way. Because boy, that interaction with other students who are also driven, who are, are like-minded in terms of, of that they're pushing forward is, is really imperative. You know, they're, they're motivated just like you are. <laughs> they're right. driven yep. just like you are. And the difference between grad school and undergrad is you choose right? Um, some students went to undergrad because mom and dad were paying for it, or there was an expectation that they should go or something like that. Yeah. Graduate degrees aren't required. And so students who are in those are tend to be in those because they will choose to be in a program um, and choose to learn that subject matter. And so you're, you're going to be in there with some like-minded individuals. And so looking for a cohort experience uh, is it, to me is priceless. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. The one thing I took away from even my undergrad was the group work. And what I always say is I, I've not used probably three quarters of what I learned in college. But the one thing I did learn was I learned how to learn. I learned how to learn from other people. I learned how to learn with other people. I learned how to just learn, if that makes any sense. And I feel like if you can get that out of any education at your level, you know, grad or, or post-grad, I think that learning how to learn is a skill. Yep. Learning how to learn and learning how to work with other people, yep. right? Because nothing is ever achieved alone, right? We don't achieve goal, goals alone. Um, they're always achieved with other people. And so with and through other people. And so you, you have to be able to, to work with the other people. And again, that's what I try to focus on in that course that I teach is like you, 
you, you, you can try to go alone all you want. And uh, one of those proverbs that people use, right? You can, you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right? And so I, I say that to the cohorts on a regular basis, like, Hey, as a cohort, you, we can all get, you can all get A's. Like there's no validatorian for grad college right? <laughs> for, for your MBA program. Yeah. Everybody can have a 4.0, yeah. uh, but at the end of the day, can you do the job and can you work with other people? That's what your company's going to care about. Um, just because you had a 4.0, nobody cares. I need you to be able to do the job and I need you to be able to work with other people um, on our team and in our, within our organization. That's 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 what all of our HR people want too, is right, right? Yeah. There is, is teams that are effective and efficient um, and being able to work together. So if we can instill that into our students at the undergrad or grad level, uh, it's imperative. I don't think there's a better place than we can leave this conversation than that. I think it completely applies to everything all about HR. Tom, it was a pleasure spending some time with you and uh, getting to see you face-to-face and, and chat. Thank you for finding Tom, appreciate it. Thank you for joining. Absolutely. Appreciate the invite and uh, look forward to seeing you out there in the Twitter sphere sometime soon. Yes. Have a very safe, productive trip to Prague with you and your students. And we will continue uh, rooting for following Bowling Green State University over here from, uh, from my house in Denver. It's been a pleasure. All right. Great. Thanks, Tom. Oh, wait. Where can people find you? Uh, the best places to find me, LinkedIn, uh, under Tom Daniels, guy who is definitely wearing an orange tie, BG colors. And uh, on Twitter, it's Tom R. Daniels 419, which 419 happens to be our area code. Those two, those are the best spots. I'll share those links. Tom, thanks again. Have a safe trip. And everyone out there listening, thank you for joining us to learn all about HR. We'll see you back soon. Take care. Understand, engage, inspire, and retain your people like never before. People Element's employee experience and engagement solution delivers powerful intelligence, giving you the confidence to act. To learn how you can gain a better understanding of your employees, please visit us at peopleelement.com.